Hello everyone, I hope you have had a fabulous week and are geared up for a new week ahead. This is Ginika and today's episode is in honor of Mental Health Month, which is in October. And I had the chance to have a live session with Dr. Deji Sasana, a clinical psychologist and productivity trainer, to talk about mental health, especially with regards to the male folk. So gather around your, your brothers, your boyfriend, your husband, if there's a guy in your life, really. So this is for men and for the women that love them. But really, there's something for everyone because we dealt in detail um, the stigma around mental health, understanding the symptoms, how to tackle mental health ch- challenges with your that you identify with yourself and even with your friends and family, and most of all, what to do to prevent a decline in mental health. So sit back, enjoy this episode, and I would like to have your feedback. Thank you very much and enjoy. Um, we have people yeah. online. I'm sure more people will join. And um, sure. I believe it's a critical conversation for a time as this and also mm. for both the female and male gender in understanding um, the topic of mental health. So, yes. Um, I, and then at, at that junction, I want to say to listeners, I'm sorry for the slight delay. And I want to implore everyone uh, that are already participating to click on the harrow that is there so that they can get as many other men and the women that love them to join it. There's an arrow, if you see, look at your screen, uh, there's an arrow you can click on, it takes you to a lot of your connected uh, uh, friends and fans or followers and you can just send it to them so that they can be aware that this program is about to go on with the super duper Guinea Okoro and it's about to go down the man and his men there. Okay. Great stuff. So I'm just going to do a quick introduction and I'll leave the ball in your court to, you know, take us through the um, conversation. I'm sure there'll be questions coming through as you speak and um, mm-hmm. we'll take them once you, once you have a breather on what you have prepared, we'll then share, ask mm. questions and I have a few other questions that um, will come through as well. Okay, just, yeah. but before we go, let me do a quick introduction of who Dr. Osas is. Um, and why he is the right person to talk to us today. So I'll do a quick read of his bio quickly, not anything um, that will take too much time, but to introduce him formally to you. He is Dr. Deji Osasona, and he is popularly known as Dr. Osas, and he's the lead consultant in Winbox. It's a consulting firm that provides world-class brain science research, um, research-driven behavioral change interventions, geared towards promoting well-being in a nation building in organizations um, for excellence. He's a certified high-performance behavior coach. He's a trainer, he's a therapist, and he's a management consultant with professional experience um, for over 14 years. He has a background in uh, medicine and neurophysiology. Tell me. Psychology, neuropsychology. Okay, he's a neuropsychologist. My bad. He's a life coach. He's a change and project management in, um, trainer, and he's a master practitioner in neurolinguistic programming. So there's a lot happening with Dr. Osas, and he's going to deliver it hot hot for us today. Um, he represents global bodies like WPO um, for the US, Signa um, Kepro, and in Nigeria, and he handles their employee assistance programs and services for. Um, 
multinational companies in Nigeria. Um, he's an author of the best-selling book, From Stress to Wellness, um, Train Your Brain for Success, Train Your Brain for Happiness, and he's the convener of the annual Unstop Conference, the free conference um, that happens annually. Uh, I am going to stop now and just hand over to him. And Dr. Digi, just take us through what is this, to this topic on the man and his mental health? Why is it important? And um, just give us an insight to what this means in our modern day um, parlance. Okay. All right. So good evening, everyone, again. Thank you, Gineke, for having me. Uh, it's an awesome pleasure to be with everyone. Every opportunity to rub minds with great people like you and every participant that I'm seeing is, a, is something that I don't take for granted. And uh, I'm grateful for inviting me. Uh, the man and his mental health has become a very crucial issue globally because of uh, the rate at which we see mental health among men uh, nose diving or spiraling down to a very deteriorated condition or state. For example, uh, you, if I say this, some people will wonder, okay, I'm seeing a couple of my guys. Good evening, Tolu Michaels. Thank you for healing me. All right, so uh, for example, suicide rate is higher in men. Suicide rate is higher in men globally. Uh, a lot of reasons have been adduced to this. Uh, one of the reasons is this. Uh, why suicide rate is higher in men, uh, attempted, uh, sorry, para-suicide is higher in women. That is uh, something that looks like suicide, but does not eventually lead to taking of life. So yeah, one of the reasons is the fact that men are more audacious or aggressive or determined in going ahead to achieve determination of their life. Uh, but the bitter truth that makes it a bit irreconcilable with high suicide rate in men is the fact that depression is higher in women. Depression is higher in women. Uh, sorry, depression higher in women in the sense that uh, he has his own reasons also. Uh, I'm trying to adduce to the fact that we need to start talking about mental health in men. So remember, men, more suicide cases have been recorded in men than women. Even though there are more parasites in women, but more of suicide cases in men. But despite that, there are more depression cases in women. Let me use simple English language now. So let me stop all this society, all this stuff. So there are more depression cases in women. In fact, the ratio globally is said to be around 1.8 to 1. 1.8 to 1. So almost two women to one man in when you calculate or put together depression cases. Although a lot of reasons have been also been added to this, that it's possible that it's because women express themselves emotionally more. Uh, the chance is higher that a woman will seek out a psychiatrist or a psychologist more than a man because of the reasons you know. One of the reasons that uh, one of the reasons that I can say summarizes other reasons is the fact that uh, vulnerability, especially emotional vulnerability in men, is seen as a weakness in most part of the world. So it's not even Africa alone. Most part of the world, emotional vulnerability in men is seen as a sign of weakness. Uh, by the men, and even by the women. I remember a lady that called in uh, when I see, when I was still the resident consultant to Sharon Lavish on Inspiration FM. I stopped last year, and uh, she called in. She didn't know what to do with her guy. 
Why? Because there was a time a boyfriend, grown-up guy, 33 years old, cried in her presence. So she didn't handle it very well. So I think she blasted him. Since then, the guy recoiled into his shell. So I asked her, what were those things that you noticed after that? Time? So she said that almost all discussions that require she trying to get to know more about his mind ends up with yes or no answer. Then if you press too much, it comes across as if she's pestering you and you can flare up or walk away. So she's feeling distant from the guy since then. Say, well, you've learned your lesson. Uh, you sent a signal to the guy that him being emotionally vulnerable to you by crying in your presence is a no, no, no. It's a negative. It's a sign of weakness. And the guy's ego was bruised. And you never can tell. It might take time for you to hear from it, especially if he doesn't believe in expressing himself or talking to an expert or a confident that can help him rewire his thoughts. So, higher suicide cases, even though there are less depression cases, although it doesn't mean that depression is less in them, but there are less de reported depression cases in them. Also, mm. men seem, black men especially seem to have a lot of, uh, more of uh, hypertension and diabetes. And uh, these are also contributors to depression, especially depression in men. Then another reason that this requires uh, everybody to talk about it is the fact that socioeconomic or psychosocial pressure is, seems, seems to be, let me say socioeconomic pressure seems to be more in men. So socioeconomic pressure in terms of taking care of the family, in terms of becoming mm. a man. As a matter of fact, in most parts of Africa, the yastic for measuring becoming a man is when you can feed your family. It's when you are materially or economically empowered and not dependent on anybody. And once this is not happening, the guy begins to feel he's not yet a man or he's not measuring up or he's not successful. And in case not taking, he's not even talking to anybody because emotional vulnerability is equal to weakness in this most part of the world. So oftentimes he knows that or he, there's change reaction into depression and a couple of other conditions. Then lastly, hmm, some of the mood disorders that we have manifest differently in men. For example, depression. Let's still use depression, which is the commonest in this part uh, globally. Now, one we expect that, like a woman, a man, uh, when he's depressed, we withdraw, uh, we feel sad, we lose interest in everything he's used to find interesting, we have low energy, we not be smiling, all those thoughts. Or you may be wrong if you are looking out for those kinds of signs of depression in men. Only. You are looking out for only those kinds of signs. As a matter of fact, in men, depression can manifest as physical symptoms such that it begins to mimic malaria and typhoid. So when a man begins to go to the hospital, or maybe not necessarily go to the hospital, it's repeatedly treating... Uh, it's repeatedly treating malaria or typhoid or calling his friend who is a doctor, a pharmacist. ...and typhoid and just going to the hospital more frequently than others. Is mm. more, um, that's what the man is more... Like Can manifest as that. So what, what I'm saying is that... Yeah, so like depression, for instance, in men can manifest as physical symptoms. And one will be thinking that uh, it's just physical. 
Uh, so that guy is not depressed. So I gave an example of if a man, your husband, your boyfriend, your son, is repeatedly coming down with symptoms, physical symptoms that mimic malaria type. In fact, he might just be telling you that he doesn't know why he's coming down with malaria repeatedly, this and that, or typhoid, and this. He's a serious doctor that is checking on that guy or that is attending to that guy. Most likely, he will sense and seek to probe deeper than just malaria and typhoid because oftentimes, depression can mimic physical symptoms, physical illnesses in men. And other physical symptoms that can manifest include uh, sleep alterations. So the guy is struggling to sleep or is waking up intermittently or even sleeps but wakes up feeling unrefreshed. That can be a pointer. Uh, this is common in men than women. Uh, so we have more physical symptoms in men than women. In fact, it can also manifest as a, a change in libido. Uh, it could be reduced libido for sex. It could be increased. And uh, in fact, it can be alteration in weight, a change in the weight. So what we're saying is this, uh, for women that love them, or even for the men that have friends that are manifesting on these symptoms, maybe by the time we go through these symptoms, what to look out for, uh, how to be of support or be of help to people like this, uh, we'll be able to go deep into those signs and symptoms to look out for. But in summary, what we're saying is this, men tired in men must be talked about. Uh, women, yes, we're talking about it, ad well, not adequate, but I think uh, we have more work to do with men. We have more work to deal with men because like for the reason I gave before in terms of the suicide cases being higher there, then it can precipitate other mental health issues and lead to family crisis. It can lead to mm. economic crisis, work, uh, work incapacitation and the likes. So that's why it's very key to talk about it. And on the background of the fact that emotional vulnerability is equated to weakness in most parts of the world. And hence, a lot of men will rather want to suppress instead of expressing or seeking help. And what they don't understand is this. Emotion itself cannot be suppressed. You are deceiving yourself. The word emotion is derived from energy in motion. Energy in motion and a law of thermodynamic energy. Energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only be converted from one point to another. Yeah. So you can't say you're suppressing an energy. You cannot suppress emotion. You've got to understand how to convert it, and you don't know how to convert it. You've got to seek help through an expert that will help you to convert the way you're thinking, reframe your thoughts, uh, which are the triggers for your feelings, also to help you modify your actions so that you can gain back your mental balance or emotional balance. So how can someone who you, you have a, maybe your spouse or your boyfriend or your brother, whoever it is, you mm. identify this, they, they, they are behaving off, basically. They are falling ill mm. more often. They are not able to sleep. How can you help them be vulnerable and open up to you, you know, so that you can actually say, okay, this is something we should take forward to a therapist or somebody that can help. How do you help men um, become vulnerable. And this is especially for the female folk. Mm. Okay. And even for men. And men, yes. Ginica, it's not only for women. You are very <laughs> I have a friend that told me that his friend had issues and he did not know. And it escalated to something we, we did not expect. So, even mm -hmm. for men, how do you... You are talking to this person every day. How do you help the person come out and be vulnerable? So... You are very spot on. All right. Like I said, 
emotional vulnerability in most parts of the world, especially Africa, is equated as weakness. Amen. And uh, this has been passed from generation of men to generation of men. So it's become a hardcore belief system. And uh, it's, uh, a belief system hijacks all your functionings, all your physiology, your psychology, your biochemistry, everything. And uh, in order to change that, you have to go back to the root cause, which is the beliefs. And where are the beliefs coming from? Beliefs are picked from four factors or four outlets, essentially. Environment, education, experience, and exposure. So in order to be of help to your man, uh, if you're a lady, uh, or to your son, if you're a mother, or to your friend or brother, if you're a guy. So there is a model we work with globally. And... Uh, Developed by World Health Organization, it's called the HAGI model, the GWE model, and uh, each of them represents some basic things to do. If you happen to be the family member, friend, or be within the vicinity of the area of influence for that particular guy, one A essentially means awareness of the symptoms and signs of suicide or even of mental health deterioration. Uh, that's where the problem is for a lot of us, Geneka. A lot of people really also, how do you be of it when you don't even know how to spot when yes. something is going on? How do you be of it when you don't know how to spot what, when something is going wrong? So we call it the mental health first aid model. Just like we have physical health first aid. Uh, I mean, I always use this analogy to people. Uh, if someone is choking beside you and you don't know what to do because you have never taken time to take a course, in first aid, physical first aid. If the person dies right in your presence, or even when you try to rush the person to the hospital, instead of quickly doing the first aid, you might even struggle to recover from the guilt. Mm. And you might struggle to forgive yourself, especially if you someone that is a loved one. All right, that's why, why physical first aid is key and important for everybody to learn it. You don't just learn because you want to earn money from something, you learn for life also. So the same way we talk about mental first aid. People must know about this and equip themselves with it. Not essentially because you want to use it to practice and make money, but you want to use it to save life. You never can tell the day you'll be the savior for someone beside you. I mean, let me not go into because of the emotional sensitivity. I said, I mean, I wanted to refer to some videos or pictures I saw of some injuries because during the protest, some be, some being stabbed and they are trying to remove the stuff and all those things, or giving water to a bullet injured person. Those are some things that violate physical force aid. But they don't know. They don't know. Like someone has an accident, they just carry them anyhow. They don't know that you can disconnect already frail cervical spine as a result of the injury, and it can cause more issues for the person. The same thing with mental health force aid. I can cite you. Thank you for joining. Okay, so... A is awareness of the symptoms and signs. And uh, the commonest cause of suicide, which we say is very high in men, is depression. Is depression. There are other causes of suicide. Uh, so sometimes it can, be a psycho, it's like it can be a psychosocial crisis. It can be a psychosocial crisis, an incident. Not necessarily the person is depressed. It can be an, excuse me, it can just be an incident. Sometimes genetic vulnerabilities, uh, some people are more prone because of genetic vulnerabilities. Sometimes it can be substance uh, influence, substance mm. influence. Uh, there are some substances that can make you become more 
prone or vulnerable to that. And sometimes also uh, it can be as a result of uh, coexisting medical condition. Uh, maybe the pain is too much or is a terminal illness and the likes. But in all, depression is the commonest cause. And uh, there are classical signs to look out for in depression. And if you want to help the man in your life, to help his or mental health or to prevent suicide or to help us nip this mental health deterioration or suicide rate among men in the board, you must be aware of these signs and symptoms. And there are nine major categories that I've decided or worked on dividing them into. There are nine classical uh, categories of these symptoms and signs. And the first two are the core. The first two are the core, the second, or the first two are the core, then the third to the ninth are the accessories. And they are key in making a diagnosis of depression. And let me quickly put this caveat out there. Uh, depression is not equal to sadness. Uh, I oftentimes see some stuff on Insta, blog, Niger, gossip mail, and the likes. Uh, I'm depressed, I'm depressed. Depression is that if you are sad as a result of being broke, it's normal. Your mind is doing its job. <laughs> Your mind is just doing its job. I mean, if your account balance is eating below your flag zone, your red flag zone, let's say your red flag zone is 10K or 5K, or some people even might even be 100K or 1 million. Once they get below 100K, they start becoming restless. It's normal. Your mind is doing its job because you know the bills that await you. You know the responsibilities on you. And you know what, how much is needed to take care of those responsibilities. Your mind is just doing its job and it's just a feedback that you need to take the right action. You need to take the right action. It's just like an alarm signal. So sadness is not negative. It's when it lasts for too long or you don't choose your action rightly in response to it, that it becomes a problem. That's why in neuropsychology, we don't say any emotion is negative or positive. It's our response to it essentially that matters uh, and that determines that direction. So please, when we're talking about these classical symptoms and signs, we are not talking about sadness. Sadness is normal. I mean... Someone insults you. Anger is normal. Anger is also normal. It's just for you to know how to choose your anger, your action rather, to know how to choose your action despite the feeling of anger and not the anger ejecting your action. Then it's also, secondly, for you to be able to snap out of it in time and not allow you to dwell, for you to dwell in it. That's why we say in neuropsychology also, it's okay to feel the anger, it's okay to feel the sadness, it's okay to feel the worries and the fear. It's just not okay to dwell in them just not okay to dwell in them. So mm. depression has a diagnosis and a diagnostic pattern. It has a criteria according to, it has its own criterion of diagnosing it according to the DSM-5 classification uh, from American Psychiatric Association and World Health Organization. I divided it into these nine categories and makes it easy for anybody to remember on how to spot depression. Remember, we're talking about A of the argument, the awareness of the symptoms and signs of depression. Now, A, which is awareness of signs, symptoms and signs, you've got to know the symptoms and signs. And I'm talking about these nine classical symptoms and signs with the first to be in the core. And which are, what are these first two symptoms and signs? Number one, low mood or sadness on a near-daily experience for at least two weeks. Low mood or sadness on a near-daily experience for at least two weeks. Number two, Loss of interest in what you used to find interesting or pleasant to you on a near-daily experience also for at least two weeks. Once these two are present, they are the core of making a diagnosis of depression. 
especially and they are affecting the productive functioning of the person, whether in work or in relationship. So you need to now look out for three other symptoms or signs. We make diagnosis of depression, what we call in medical terms, depressive disorder or major, depressed, major depressive illness or clinical depression. Uh, when these five symptoms and signs are present, inclusive of these first two that I refer to as the core, and they are present on a near daily experience for at least two weeks, and they are amping or affecting the productive functioning of the person, and that's nothing to do with a substance influence. Mm. has nothing to do with a substance influence because some substances can precipitate depression, especially in men. Right. So, I've mentioned the core two symptoms and signs. Let's go to the rest. So, low fatigue. Uh, low energy, rather. That's fatigue. It could be mental or physical fatigue. That's a pointer. Then also, when there's an alteration or a frequent change in appetite, it could be appetite for food. Uh, the guy used to eat a lot before, but he's now struggling to even eat small. Or the guy used to eat small, but now he's become an elephant. <laughs> That's a pointer. And it can be a change or a frequent change in appetite for sex also, not just food. Uh, I mean, if, you're, if it's your spouse, you know it's, you can gauge, if you have been together for a while, it's libido level or it's appetite for sex. But if there's a frequent change, it goes high for like a couple of weeks, then it crashes for like another couple of weeks, and it's becoming repetitive. That could be a pointer. It could even be frequent, or frequent change in appetite for respect. So no appetite for food or sex alone. Frequent change in appetite for respect. Mm. And sometimes, it doesn't care about, maybe you, say, you put sire after his name, Somebody said, perfect routine. Said, that says happens a lot. <laughs> so maybe before he, he, he didn't used to care about uh, putting a sigh in his name. He didn't used to care about you calling his name, his own name, just like that without putting any prefix. Or he, he, didn't, he didn't used to care about him, somebody kneeling down or all those traditional respect or cultural respect or something. But now, any small thing, say, do you show more age, meaning like the popular <laughs> slang? Or do you know, you know who you are talking to? Do you know who, who I am? And it's becoming a repetitive or your habitual pattern. It could be a pointer to depression if other symptoms and signs are present. So the fifth one, uh, the fifth one could be physical symptoms and signs like alteration in sleep patterns. And this is common in men. Like I mentioned earlier, physical symptoms and signs are common in men. So every woman or the man in their life, in the life of that man, must not be looking out for psychological symptoms and signs only. <laughs> Somebody, this madame of Impotacote, a great alumnus of our academy, she said, ancestors, in response to what I just said. <laughs> that's a, that's a Loretta Ogum from Potacote. All right, so, so, uh, alteration in sleep pattern can be common in men. And, uh, and I mentioned what it's all about. So alteration in sleep pattern does not mean inability to sleep only. That's not what you're looking at for. Alone. Sometimes in some men, it's not about alteration in sleep, uh, inability to sleep. <laughs> it's not about inability to sleep. Sometimes it's intermittent waking up. And sometimes it's the fact that the person is able to sleep, but he wakes up still feeling unrefreshed. And it's becoming a repetitive pattern. That can be a pointer. 
Another symptom and sign is loss of concentration or inability to sustain attention. Loss of concentration or inability to sustain attention. You're talking with the person to sustain. It's a serious matter that you know will interest him more. And he struggles to sustain his attention for more than five to six minutes. It can be a pointer. Or he's struggling with concentrating on his, maybe he's taking a course and he's struggling to concentrate on it. Or all those things. It could be a pointer. Uh, it could even manifest as uh, coming late for work, becoming, it used to be punctual, but now it's not punctual, uh, making errors on, at work, or what we call presenteeism. The person is present at work physically, but mentally absent. Such that they are prone to error, they are prone to conflict, they are prone to accident at work. Prone to making mistakes or any small thing, they are generating conflict. It can be a point to depression, especially in men. Another common symptom and sign that belongs to the nine categorical signs and symptoms is a feeling, a repetitive feeling of guilt or resentment or unforgiveness. Mm. When there's a feeling of guilt, unforgiveness or resentment, it can be a pointer also. Uh, that's self-explanatory enough. Then also, when there's the feeling of hopelessness, and it's lasting for like the duration I mentioned earlier, two weeks, minimum of two weeks on a near daily experience. Could be a pointer. Then the last one, suicidal ideation. Suicidal ideation. What does that mean? And I will be I will give a local relevant, locally relevant example because I found out over the last couple of years that we involved in behavioral change practice, where I that's what I essentially do, but I'm also a mental health advocate. I've discovered that, especially on Radio Shine Live, which I was a consultant for two years, I discovered that our definition of suicidal ideation in Nigeria, and maybe Africa, is slightly different from the Western world. So suicidal ideation, according to WHO definition, or in Western world can mean you are having, you are nursing the idea or the thoughts. They can be obtrusive thoughts, not you really generating them, but they are repeatedly coming like, I think I should end it. I think I should take my life. I think... And life is not worth living again. Those are societal ideations. But in Africa, he has a level of his own uniqueness. I guess as a result of our cultural and religious influence. Now, societal ideation in Nigeria can mean something like, hmm, let Jesus just come and let rapture happen and let everybody just go. And the person is repeatedly saying that always, almost every day or near daily experience. That let Jesus just come, let rapture just come, let just go. Nobody said the guy won't come up for heaven. If he gets out of the depression, that stance will change. Oh my God. <laughs> so it can be a pointer. <laughs> All right. Another classical example of that suicidal addition common in this part of the world is uh, I just want to escape and be alone. I need my personal retreat time. Okay, for how long do you want to go away? I just want to be away for God knows how long. If it's a retreat, a retreat has a defined time. Three days, one week, two weeks, even vacation has a defined time. But when the person begins to say it to you, <laughs> don't like I said, Maranatha, please. Maranatha, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and Loretta said, trumpet will stand, though. <laughs> All right. So, if you say, I just want to escape, I just go away, alone. Okay, which part of the world? He said, I'm not sure. I just want to go to somewhere where I will not see anybody. I will be alone. Uh-uh. Please look out for other symptoms and signs such a person. 
Then it can be like, a, like I remember a call that came in during sharing live issues then when there was a building that collapsed in Lagos Island. And we were just talking about suicidal symptoms then. And the guy, the lady related to it and called that when the uh, collapse of the building happened, the thoughts were just crossing her mind that what was the big deal? What was in this world? Even if this our house collapses now, what was the big deal? We will go and uh, uh, all the sufferings in this country will just end. That can be a pointer. There are many examples as a result of cultural and religious influence. Don't wait till the person is telling you that uh, he wants to kill himself. You might not say it outrightly like that. Sometimes it might even manifest as action. They are beginning to pick things like a dangerous weapon and keeping them, uh, buying sniper, and there's no apparent reason. Sorry, permit me not to mention, uh, pardon me for that. I shouldn't have mentioned it. Buying insecticide. Uh, buying insecticide, buying dangerous objects like knife or even ropes, thick ropes and the lives. Uh, don't ignore, ladies and gentlemen. Don't ignore, especially with a man. Especially with a man. Remember I mentioned suicide rate is higher in them because they have more courage, more aggression to go out, all out to achieve that. So once you have five of these symptoms and signs with the first two, which are the core, and they are present on a near daily experience for at least two weeks, and it's affecting the productive function of the person at work or in relationship, and it's not related to any substance influence, maybe a, 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 some, some medicine, some medications can induce depression, some substance can induce it, even alcohol can induce it. So if it's not related to any of those, then we make a diagnosis of depression. So when you are aware of these signs and symptoms, you can be of help. That's the first level of mental health for sake. In order to be able to be of help, you can only give what you have. Number two, following the algorithm model is L, listen non-judgmentally. If you love the man in your life, or you're a friend to a guy that is having any of these symptoms and signs, you've got to master the Arts and the skills of listening. And I'm not talking of hearing. Hearing is passive. As long as you have a functioning ear, you will hear. But listening is active. Listening involves not interrupting when the person is talking. Listening involves not exclaiming even when the person mentions something against your moral value. For example, I've been sleeping with prostitutes. You are not a good listener. We exclaim, you are not a good listener. You are going to shut down the mind of that person. So they need to express it. They need to talk. Talking alone, even not seeking expert help, but having someone they can just talk and talk and let out the energy. Remember, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only be converted. Mm. Talking helps to convert the energy they are suppressing. So talking alone is therapeutic, even though it might not be complete, but it's therapeutic. But the problem is that a lot of people are not good listeners. Mm. They interrupt, they give wrong body language, they're talking to you, you are looking sideways, you are pressing phone, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram. You're going to shut the person down and will not feel like talking to you. Or you are exclaiming because something is against your moral values. And that's one of the problems I have with a lot of people. Uh, I'm being careful not to say religious people. Uh, because I, I believe more in spirituality, spiritual people. But you got to, even if it's against your religious values, that's not the time to express it. Regardless of what the person did, regardless, no matter how terrible, you don't exclaim, you don't react to that, just listen. Now you've got to give some affirmations and validations as the person is talking. 
this part of listening effectively. So, for example, you nod your head in response to what the person is saying, or you show the facial expression that you are concerned, but not overtly, not excessively. Mm. Not excessively so that it will not send a signal of sympathy. They will shut down and stop talking or not want to open up again. If you are sympathizing instead of empathizing, there's a difference. Sympathy is essentially you are expressing compassion because maybe you feel the way the person is feeling. But empathy is compassion that goes beyond compassion, the compassion that is expressed in order to seek to understand that person so that you can guide your actions of communication. Mm -hmm. So there are two steps ahead of sympathy. Empathy is two steps ahead of sympathy. The compassion is to seek to understand the person's feelings and perspectives so that this can guide your own action and communication. All right. So there are a lot of things on the world. You must listen not judgmentally, and in no, for no whatsoever reason must you judge. Whatsoever reason, and I know a lot of people are judginos, especially in Africa. We like judging. We like judging. Okay, let me not use this African adage. What a lot of Africans, Nigerians like judging, and what a lot of people don't know about judging is this. Let me tell you a secret, the secret of your brain when it comes to judging people. When you're repeatedly practicing judging people, and I will relate it to emotional vulnerability, why one of the major reasons why a lot of men don't open up, because of judging. That's why they equate emotional vulnerability or expressing emotion as weakness. Whenever you are judging repeatedly, you're judging someone repeatedly, Whenever you are judging someone repeatedly, what you're doing is that you are programming yourself to be judging yourself also. How do I mean? Your brain cannot differentiate whether you are judging someone or judging yourself. It cannot differentiate between reality and perception or imagination. Both of them are the same mm. in your mind. That's why if you have a nightmare that a masquerade with costlers is chasing you in your nightmare, in your dream, and you're running for your life, sweating profusely, panting heavily. If your spouse suddenly wakes you up, or something suddenly wakes you up, most likely your mattress is soaked with your sweat, and you wake up panting heavily. So when you are judging, let's say I'm judging Guinea, I've been judging her almost every day, every week for the last one or two years. I'm labeling her. I'm always judging her for her action, judging her for how she looks, judging her for her dressing, judging her all the time like that. The first time you judge and you repeatedly practice that, you have established a neurological pathway in your brain for judging. Mm -hmm. When you repeatedly practice it, you are reinforcing that neurological pathway in your brain for judging. So that when that pathway is fully reinforced, it becomes a habit. Now... It doesn't matter who you are judging. Now, you will start judging yourself in form of internal conversations. You'll be overtly critical of yourself. And you'll be wondering, why am I not happy? Why nowadays I'm, I'm struggling to be happy, mm. to be joyous? You are being your self-talks and your internal conversations You become overtly critical of yourself as a result of you being a Georgino. So practice listening non-judgmentally to help men to open up. It will help men to stop seeing emotional vulnerability as a sign of weakness. It will help men to stop seeing crying occasionally. Not that you, a, a man will not start crying all the time, but crying occasionally when uh, what happened on past Gary. You help them see it as normal because crying is even therapeutic if it's not excessive. 
It helps you to let out the stress chemicals. The teardrops, an average teardrop, contains about 30 stress chemicals in it when someone mm. is emotionally tensed. And that's what you're letting out. And if you don't let it out, you, you, will not, you cannot destroy it in your system. It has to be converted to another form. All right? Then the third one under the argument is uh, now you are aware of the symptoms and signs. You have listened non-judgmentally to the person. <laughs> what is spelling Georgino there? Yeah. Oh, man, that's a, oh, man, that's a spelling of Georgino coming up on here. Inshallah, my party, how are you? <laughs> a guy is saying, allow us to cry, I cry. Come back to you, bro. <laughs> Some, sometimes it's okay to cry. Please tell your brothers, tell your sons, tell, and tell your children, your boys as they're growing up. It's okay to cry. Just know where to cry. Know who to cry upon and moderate it. All right. <laughs> this Loretta Guzay will give buckets. <laughs> I will tell your guy, your husband, that you say you will give buckets. He wants to cry. <laughs> All right. So, someone yeah? saying that he has been hardened, that he they've judged the tears out of him. He has been hardened. How do we help? Shinarambo hardened. I can see it there. <laughs> Shinarambo hardened. Don't worry. This session will break every form of hard cement that has turned you to that has turned you to Shinarambo. <laughs> All right, so the third in the hugging mode is G, right? You must be able to give information, tips, basic tips immediately. You must be able to give reassurance and support information or positive information or tips that can be of help in the moment. For example, I received a lot of calls in the last three days uh, as a result of the fact that we are doing employee assistance program for a couple of companies. And uh, together with it, my team of uh, therapists and counselors, I mean, you know, after the unfortunate lucky shooting, the next day, it was crazy. Honestly, that day, and I'm not exaggerating, that day, it, it was at night that I had to shower. Because from around 8, 9 a.m., back-to-back calls from different companies that have retainership with us, calling uh, this one we call, oh, I can't sleep, oh, I can't breathe, <laughs> I feel like I want to die. <laughs> and all those were happening. Now, if people are around them, because sometimes you work in companies that don't have EAP facility, employee assistance program, and you might not even know a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist to reach out to. That's why this mental force, mental force aid model is key. People around them must be able to give tips. For example, one of the tips is identify the trigger. For this feeling, every feeling has a trigger. Like we say in neuropsychology, there's a model I developed called the TIA model. So trigger, impact, and action. Every emotion passes through three phases. Every emotion passes through three phases. So once someone is experiencing a particular emotion, there's a trigger, there's an impact, and there's an action. The trigger essentially is the cognitive part, is the thought, which majorly means interpretation of a situation or expectation from the situation. So the situation itself does not automatically translate to feelings. There has to be a trigger, the way the person is interpreting that situation or expecting from that situation. So before you even identify what interpretation the person is giving to the situation or how he's expecting from that situation, cut off that situation, cut off the person from that situation first. But now it's just a simple tip of, please cut off on social media for now. It's a good tip to help immediately at that moment. If the person is losing control of all his or her emotions, just cut off on social media. Go on news fast for 24 hours, 48 hours. Or social media fast. 
I call it the social media detox. 24, mm -hmm. 48 hours. That's a good tip to give. Also, breathing, relaxation. Uh, anxiety will keep piling up in your system if your breathing is shallow and fast. And I, this is, a lot of people are oblivious to this. So when you are getting anxious, your breathing becomes shallow and fast. And the more the breathing becomes shallow and fast, the more the anxiety chemicals also grow. But if you have this understanding of you are lucky to have someone around you that notice that your breathing is becoming at the upper third of your chest, that's shallow and it's fast. You will see it in the alanasi, the these flaps of the nose. You will see the way the person is breathing. If you are observant, and why won't you be observant is someone you love? Just calm the person down. Tell the person to force himself to breathe deep and slow down his breathing. There's a mechanism we use. We call it the four seven four mechanism. Four seven four. And what does that mean? You inhale oxygen and count one to four. So as you are inhaling, let the length of your inhaling last over that one to four seconds. Mm. Four. Then breathe deep. You breathe deep by raising your chest and your shoulder to push your diaphragm so that the air or the oxygen can go deep down to the basal level of your lungs. And you count one to seven when you do that. Then you breathe out with your mouth open, count one to four. <sighs> count one to four, that's the four, seven, four mechanism. It helps to slow down your breathing and helps to push your breathing deep. The anxiety chemical is forced at that point. It cannot grow when you are able to control your brain. That's what they, they use a lot for musicians, speakers, when they are about to mum the stage. These are basic tips. Another basic tip is not to focus on the feeling. And that's yeah. a major problem. I teach this a lot in my emotional resilience. A lot of people make the mistakes of focusing on the feeling. The more you focus on the feeling, the more the feeling grows. The more you resist the feeling, the more the feelings persist. So the principle is accept it if you want to transform it. If you resist it, it will persist. But if you accept it, you can transform it. So they have to accept the feeling first because the feeling is legit. It's just your mind and body doing its job. You garbage in a particular trigger, a particular interpretation or expectation. And whatever interpretation you garbage into your system, your mind processes, there's a corresponding biochemical that will release called feeling. Mm. Feelings are just biochemicals. They are a component of emotion. Emotion has three stages. Feeling is one of the stages, the second stage. That's what we call impact. Feeling plus the body reaction to the feelings, the chemicals. Now, once you garbage a particular interpretation, your system will release a biochemical that is corresponding to that. Each feeling has its own corresponding interpretation or expectation or trigger. For example, when you interpret any situation as a threat or danger, to your life, to your finance, to anything, the biochemical of fear will be released into your system. And your body will react to that biochemical and you will feel it. And there are specific way your body will react that you will feel it through your breathing, through your heart rate, through your facial expression, through your sweat glands, through your memory, through your muscle tension and the likes. Through your digestive system, especially if it's worried. If you're garbaging an interpretation or expectation of uncertainty or powerlessness over a situation, you are expecting that you will, be, you will be powerless over the situation or the future is uncertain. Automatically, it's automatic. The biochemical of worry will be released into your system and your body will react to it and you will feel it. The same thing with hunger when there is an interpretation or expectation of a block goal. 
of a blood goal, and the goal or desired outcome can mean anything. It could be a desired outcome of a respect from someone. And the behavior or the action of the person or the communication of the person is like that desired outcome of respect from that person is blocked. Once you interpret it as a blood goal or desired, block desired outcome, the biochemical of anger will release into your system. The same thing with sadness. Once you are designed interpretation of a situation of a loss, there's a situation of a loss of a loved one, loss of a property, loss of a position, loss of a relationship or whatever, and you interpret it as a vacuum in your life that you may not be able to cope with. The biochemical of sadness will be released into your system and your body will react to it and you will feel it. Now, the problem is not the release of this biochemical because it even shows that your body is working. Your glands that are producing these hormones are working. And that's why we say this emotional pain of fear, worry, sadness, and cold, they are okay to feel them. It's just like physical pain, gynecal. God forbid, though, you mistakenly cut yourself while cutting tomato or onion. Mm. You won't like the physical pain. It's discomforting, right? You won't yeah. like it. But the truth, the brutal truth is this. You should be grateful that you're able to feel the physical pain because it's a signal to you that the pain detectors under your skin, which we call in medical terms, peripheral nerve endings, they are working. Because there are some people with genetic condition in which their peripheral nerve endings are absent or not functioning. They cannot feel pain. And when we think that when you can't feel physical pain, that should be positive. Umba. Because when you can't feel physical pain, it's dangerous. For example, in diabetic complication, years of high blood sugar have damaged these pain detectors under their skin, the peripheral nerves. And they can't feel pain. Sometimes they step on a sharp object and they don't know. And they are bleeding. Maybe somebody calls their attention to it and they treat it well. But sometimes nobody to call their attention to it. They bleed and bleed and bleed. But within 7 to 12, seven to 12 minutes, the bleeding is meant to stop because of the clotting system if it's intact. All right? But the fact that the yeah. bleeding has stopped does not mean the wound is not there. And the wound can now become, if they are not aware, especially if it's under their soul, the, the wound can become infected from infection, it can become gangrenous. That the dark nature of it. And wherever there's gangrene, it must be cut off. That's what leads to amputation in diabetic complication. So you that you can feel pain, you don't know what God has done for you that you can feel pain, physical pain. Mm -hmm. But that diabetic complication patient is praying to God, God restore back my ability to feel pain. So it's the same thing with emotional pain. It's okay to feel the emotional pain of all those feelings, but don't focus on needs. Why? Your mind and body is just doing its job. That's one. Two, it's automatic. Most times you don't have control over your feelings. Most times you don't have control over your feelings. And as a matter of fact, it's, it's not your business to have control over your feelings. Your mind and body are just doing their job. The more you are trying to resist it, the more your mind and body will be sensing that you are not getting the signal. And we pump more chemicals so that you can get the signal. Because the signals are just alarm signals to alert you to take action. All right? So don't focus yeah. on it. What you should focus on? The action, the third stage of emotion, and the fourth stage of emotion. So we call it the action and trigger, right? So instead of focusing on the feeling, you don't like it, it's discomforting, but discipline yourself. It will take time to work at that, but you can become it. You can start doing it. Focus more on, start asking yourself, how is this feeling already hijacking my action? Is this action aligning with my desired outcome? The desired goal I want in the situation. If it's not aligning, how can I choose? What action should I choose despite how I'm feeling? So you may not be able to choose your feeling. Your feeling may not be comfortable, but you can go ahead and choose your action 
once you have gained clarity on what your desired goal is. For example, you are feeling hungry, but your desired outcome is peace, rest of mind. Then you choose the action that will give you that instead of reacting to the failure. And you have control over your action. Don't allow anybody to sell that excuse to you. Uh, no matter how angry you are, you say, ah, Dr. Sass, I'm a hungry, I'm a anger freak person. I get angry easily. I slap people easily. No matter how temperamental you are, if a soldier, especially a guy that is big, that has gone, okay, not a, well, not a soldier, even Mopo, insults you, you will not slap him. Because you will quickly, within a split second, highlight your desired outcome to stay alive. I just stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> so you will choose your action in the direction of your desired outcome, not in the direction of your feeling. So these are basic things we must be able to give people, but time will not permit us to go into it. Then the fourth one, which is the E, the first E. <laughs> we have a question. I'm so sorry. So does this explain? Does this <laughs> I will respond in the manner Bwari responds. I'm not aware. <laughs> I'm not aware. <laughs> All right, let's continue. The first, <laughs> the first E is and uh, educate them about their situation. You know that a lot of times people don't even know it's depression they are dealing with. Some people don't even know it's bipolar. Some people don't even know that it's the reason why they are antisocial and always finding themselves in conflict is as a result of a personality disorder. Some people don't even know that uh, the reason why they are going after substances or alcohol and the like is because of the anxiety issue. So, You've got to educate them. So if you are spotting symptoms and signs that don't look normal, they are out of the norm, you can seek help on behalf of the person. Talk to a doctor and describe the symptoms and signs so that you get educated. And with the knowledge you got from the doctor that has guided you, you can now go and Google. I don't encourage you going ahead to Google directly yourself. There are a lot of information on Google. And oftentimes it can cause white coat hypertension in quotes, or it can cause anxiety to you yourself, or it can even misguide you and you start looking out for symptoms and signs that are not there in that man or in that person. So once the doctor has guided you on what to look out for, you can now read up on your own. But if you know you have a level of basic understanding of that already, you can just gain more information on Google. If Google is, your, is a fantastic confidant or companion when it comes to getting information, quite all right. So, so that you, have, you equip yourself, you harm yourself up with information on how to educate this person. Because they need to gain insights. If they don't gain insight, they will not seek help. Mm. Sometimes they will use some, some people can, I mean, some conditions like ADHD or bipolar affective disorder, ADHD is attention deficit affective disorder. The person struggles with concentration, struggles with being patient or staying on one business. Those kind of people cannot stay in one business or stay in one place like that. They might just think, that's who I am. That's who I've known myself to be all the while. I mean, something that can be worked upon, that can be, that requires expert help. And it can be pushing them, it can be pushing them to depression. Like I did, the person struggles to be concentrating on a particular thing. So they might struggle to concentrate even on a business. They do this today. In six months' time, they've moved to another one. Three months, they've moved to another one. they move moved to, like that. And their mind is always traveling. This, once they are seeing frustration, they are not getting results, can push them to depression. It might be the cause of their own depression or even the suicide tendencies. Now, they need to gain insight and realize that 
it's not just about that's who you are. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. It could be structurally, it could be biochemically in your brain. And seeking help can help. So the people that love them, when they have information, they can educate them so that they can gain insight. That's the first aid. Then the second aid, which is the last step of the ARGI model for mental health first aid, mm-hmm. is encourage them to seek help. So in encouraging them to seek help, they will need reassurance. They will need that you are present with them. It's not a journey they will be alone on. So you might need to even go with them to seek help. Don't just say, go and see this. I got this. I, I'm sending a number to you. I'm WhatsApping I'm a number to you. You don't understand what they are dealing with. By the way, let me go back to the first thing. And also listening non-judgmentally, the, the second step. One of the statements, or a common statement in this part of the world, which is religious statement, is this. Don't you pray? Aren't you a man of faith? Thank Come you. on, have a firm grip on your mind. You've been hearing the word of God. You are a Christian. You're studying the word of God. Excuse me, sir or ma or Mr. Georgino, Mrs. Georgino, who tells you, or who informed you, or who told you that pastors don't become depressed? I've seen pastors that committed suicide. I've worked with a lot of top pastors. I can give names, or I can tell you I've worked with a lot of top pastors. And this is not blowing my trumpet. There are some people that know me. I've worked with a lot of pastors dealing with depression. In fact, last year, there are two pastors that are diagnosed with bipolar. That's responsible for their aggressive tendencies. One actually slapped his wife twice. I didn't know it's bipolar, but the stressor, there's a stressor he was going through, a situation that now triggered it, the manic part of it. And that's what leading to the aggression. He didn't know. So when it comes to mental health, it's not essentially, mark my word, a function of whether you are spiritual or have faith or not. Sometimes it could even be thyroid issue, thyroid gland. That is causing the depression because the T3 hormone level is low. No matter how anointed you are, if your T3 level is low, you will be depressed. You need an expert. <laughs> God is the only science, He's the author and finisher of all knowledge, including science. Don't listen to any pastor that is telling you otherwise. He doesn't know what he's saying, even if he's a bishop. I have a thing deep on your emotion. Ah, brother, so, 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 so. Ah, you've been hearing the word of God. Pray with them. Support them with the word of God. If you are not judging them, and if you are empathic enough, but don't stop at that level. Prayer is important. It mm-hmm. has to be a collaboration. But you have, must help them to gain insights by educating them, then encourage them, which is the second E in the Hagi model, to seek professional help. Sometimes, a medication can just correct the imbalance. Sometimes it's just psychotherapy. And it's better to cut it early. Especially mood disorder like depression and anxiety. It's better to cut it early because it's easier, it's easier to manage. But once it becomes severe, you can be managing it for two years. Mm. Weekly sessions of psychotherapy. It's not easy. That's why psychotherapy is costly. That's why we are encouraging the government to make this readily available because it's costly. There's no my mind about it. It's costly. So please, all these religious beliefs that are not are working against humanity must be dropped. Anything that is against humanity is not God. Anything that is against humanity, even if you're speaking, you're speaking in tongues against humanity, that's not from God. 
Because I always tell people, you are telling somebody that is depressed, is that you should have a firm grip on his emotion, have a firm grip on your mind, have a firm grip on his emotion. Because is it because it's not physical? It's abstract. Do you tell somebody that has breast cancer have a firm grip on your breast? I'm sorry, you I'm tell not the <laughs> Do you tell, I mean, if someone has breast cancer, will you tell, ah, madam, why now? Have a firm grip on your breast. Or do you tell someone that has malaria, have a firm grip on your immunity. It's because mental health is somehow abstract. And we just, out of ignorance, yeah. we connote all manners of stuff with it. Please, let's be careful. I, I, I value the role of religious leaders. Spirituality is key. Even though I place less value on religion, I place more value on spirituality. Uh, yeah. But it must be a collaboration. Religious leaders must know the end of their capacity. Professionals also must know the end of their capacity so that it's a collaboration. Collaboration is a new norm. It's a new normal. Uh, this brings to mind uh, a statement that we were repeatedly told in medical school. So they, when we were introduced to clinical ward in part four, uh, and they were teaching us medical ethics. Uh, so we, you, we, you do what we call integrated course in preclinicals, 200 level and 300 level that combine behavioral science, nutrition, all manners of stuff like that. Then in clinicals, some schools, 500 level, part five, some passes you do psychiatry. Now, there are some ethics they will teach you. And one of the things they teach us is this, in the ethic is this, uh, a good doctor, is someone that knows what to do for his patients. A good doctor is someone that knows what to do for his patients. But a great doctor, a great doctor, is someone that knows when he doesn't know what to do for his patients and seeks help or refer to someone who knows. That's so powerful, yeah. So a good pastor, if I translate it to religious leader, a good pastor or imam is someone that knows what to do for his members in praying, in giving the word of God, encouragement, hope, and the likes. For a mm -hmm. great pastor or a great imam is someone that knows when he doesn't know what to do. The biggest level of ignorance, the most toxic form of illiteracy or ignorance the most disastrous form of illiteracy or ignorance is what we call unconscious incompetence. When you don't know that you don't even know. When you know that you don't know, oh boy, you have improved. But when you don't know that you don't know, you are a danger and a disaster to yourself. Not even to others only. So, I just passed that message across if there is any religious leader listening and for those that become victims of religious leaders, I have experienced a lot. I mean, 2018, a lady called in. A lady called in. So she said her sister asked her to call sharing live issue. Live. And uh, what was the issue? So she connected her sister to the phone call. Her sister is based in Canada. Mm. So her sister was pleading with us that we should help her get police, policemen, to go and arrest her parents. I said, eh? what do you mean? So what happened? Their last born, they, their youngest sister has been in, in deliverance in court wow. for two, three, roughly three weeks in the hands of a pastor. Why? Because of psychotic symptoms. That is the person she was seeing things that others were not seeing. And she was hearing voices others were not hearing. 
which we later found out that is due to depression. It was a depressive psychosis. All right? Now, they took her to the pastor, which is fantastic. If it's first point of call, I don't have a problem with that. If the pastor is educated enough, pray with them, encourage them with the word of God. In fact, encourage the family also and pray. We're not saying that uh, some cases cannot be diabolical, but the truth is that the percentage of mental health cases that are diabolical is very, very low. Research has shown a lot of cases that they call diabolical, they get to the hospital, and immediately you commence treatment within two, three weeks, you see significant improvement. And I'm like, hey, so are these demons or the witches, are they responding to medications? And so medications, they chase away demons. Because I don't understand. If you call it something spiritual and diabolical, and we commence medication and psychotherapy, and there's improvement. We're not saying it's all cases that are taken care of by medication and psychotherapy. But we say majority of cases respond to that. We took this guy forcefully using policemen. Because we got, I got across to the family. I took it upon myself, tried to educate them. It took time. In fact, three times. It was the third time they agreed to go to meet the pastor, and the pastor was hell-bent on not showing us where the guy was. We got police involved, and we got the guy out. All manners of marks on her body in the name of deliverance. Wow. And we took her to hospital. His sister in Canada, sponsor, it was a private psychiatric hospital. Uh, for the first one month, they commenced our medication. Psychotherapy cannot start immediately. And uh, by third week, she significantly improved. And after one month, I commenced psychotherapy with her. She's doing very well now, gainfully employed, working. And I just shared that for someone that might be passing through that or has someone that is passing through that. And it might even be a man. And just using all manners of thought that will not work and just delay the danger day. So yeah. encourage them to seek help. Sometimes you need to deal with them to go to seek help. Sometimes you might not even know a psychiatrist around you. Just go to any doctor, any good doctor, any good hospital. The doctor will be able to make the diagnosis. Every doctor, this psychiatry in, in medical school, you might not be a specialist in psychiatry, but at least you did the basic in school. And you can make a diagnosis and refer. You will know the psychiatrist to refer to. And if it's just psychotherapy, the pessimist, you will know the clinical psychologist or psychotherapist to refer to. And to wrap it up, I, said, I promise to share this. Mental health, we have been talking about a lot of all these issues. Mental health is just not, not about all these, it's not just about all these diseases only, please. There's this misconception about mental health. When you mention mental health, and you're just, people just think it's about depression, anxiety, colomenta, addiction, and all those things. No. Mental health itself is not even about the absence of all those diseases. How do we define mental health according to what health organization? Mental health, excuse me. Mental health essentially means the state of your well-being. And by well-being, what do we mean? Your thoughts, your emotions, and your social behavior. Thoughts, emotions, social behavior. So the state of your well-being in which you are able to act achieve four things, or you're able to express or do four things. One, achieve or attain the highest possible potential of your abilities. Mm. Two, you're able to cope or adapt to stresses and shocks of life. Three, you are able to work productively or relate productively. 
You're able to walk productively or relate productively or give meaning to life. That is, you, you, are, you have a direction with your life. You're working productively or you are relating productively. Then four, you are able to offer meaningful contribution to society and humanity. You're able to offer meaningful contribution to your society, be of service to your society or to the globe entirely. When these four are manifesting, might not be perfect, but it's a journey in your life you're manifesting this, most likely your state of well-being is okay. Thoughts, emotions, and social behavior. But if any of these four is static or you are stuck in any of these four, something is wrong with your thoughts, emotions, and social behavior. And your mental health is suffering. It doesn't yeah. mean until you come down with depression or manners or those mental illness before your mental health. So long and short, you don't wait till you even manifest depression. You're a man listening to me. You don't wait till you manifest depression or you get enter into addiction with some substances or alcohol, hard drugs or medications to take care of pain or anxiety issue or even personality disorder or even psychosis or whatever or eating disorders, which is common in women anyway, or learning disorder. You don't wait till you manifest that. When any of those four is suffering, you can talk to a psychologist. Just know who you are talking to. Ensure he's competent and trained. And sometimes it might not even be manifesting, but you are suspecting that this new role you're about to take in your work, there's a promotion. Mm. You can go and talk to a psychologist so that they will equip you with the resilience skills to safeguard your mental health. It's better to go the preventive lane than the therapeutic route. Prevention, they say, mm -hmm. is cheaper and better than cure. And having said that, even the mental illnesses themselves, they are not limited to depression and anxiety alone. There are many. But I don't like talking much about the diseases because I don't like creating too much awareness about the disease. I prefer to create more awareness about the mental health itself. So you can understand what it is, what you can do practically by yourself and by experts. I hope I've done justice to the topic. You have done so fantastically. I was going to ask if you could go through the four things you called out, especially the first one. I think someone on the All right. um, call has missed that, and I did that, so I missed that. So if you could go through four oh. of them again so we can capture that. And if you have questions... Um, quickly put them in before we wrap this up, but you have done extensive, um, let's say, damage to the topic. Damage <laughs> so, Positive damage. <laughs> Positive damage. But yeah, yeah. on the four, four areas you talked about. All right. So I define mental health according to the way World Health Organization defines it, which is the state of well-being. And I explain well-being in brackets, thoughts, yes. emotions, and your social behaviors. A state of well-being in which you are able to achieve the highest possible potentials of your abilities. That's the first expression. When your well-being is intact, doing well, thoughts, emotions, and social behavior, able to achieve the highest possible potential of your abilities. Then secondly, you're able to adapt. Thank you. <laughs> you're able to adapt or cope with the stresses and shocks of life. Adapt or cope with the stresses and shocks of life. So you're struggling with coping with stresses and shocks of life. And maybe in, in the moment, that's okay. But if it's lasting for too long, your mental health might be, the way you're thinking or your emotion or your behavior might have been affected. Something is wrong somewhere there. You may need that. 
Then thirdly, you are able to work or relate productively. So you're struggling with relating with people or relating with your spouse. This is a lady you loved before. You're a guy or a lady, a guy you loved before. You're a man and really no apparent reason. And yeah, there might even be an apparent reason and maybe you have recovered from it. The, each party has apologized but you're struggling with moving on. Something somewhere your well-being, your thought, emotional, social behavior, something is wrong. Something has been affected. If you are not able to find it and correct it, you'll say you may need help. Then fourthly, and it might be even in work, in your workplace as a business owner or as a career professional, or maybe in your academics. Now, fourth one, you're able to offer meaningful contribution or service to your society. If any of these four is hampered or static or stagnated or you're stuck on anyone, you're struggling with anyone, something is wrong with your well-being, your mental well-being. That's your thoughts, your emotions, and social behavior. You may need help if you can't find it by yourself. So don't wait till it spirals down to a full-blown mental illness. Mental health can be preventive. The same way you do mental physical health checks, you can do mental health checks. Mm -hmm. Even before marriage, I always say, Father, I remind you, thank God I'm remembering this because it's become a crucial issue in this, in this part of the world. Mental health check should be part of background check you do before marriage. I won't say much more than that because it's not the focus. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Doc. Are there any questions? I haven't seen any question come through, but I know someone had asked something on, does it mean that um, hustle, you know when he said, you, you mentioned that moving from one business idea to another, not able to focus, maybe uh, an indication of ADHD. So the question was, does it mean hustling in our parlance is, it can be an issue, a mental health issue. <laughs> so, let me tell you one thing I found out. So I'm a business person. I'm the team lead for Winbos Consulting, a management consulting that uses behavioral change interventions to do trainings, assessment, behavioral job interviews, organizational culture audits, and we use we do culture and coaching and training and therapies, essentially EAP for organizations. Then we do behavioral skills training and a bit of behavioral consulting. Now that's one business I do, and I've been doing that. Uh, my the company itself is five years, but I've been doing that for nine years uh, now. But that's not the only business I do, but I, took time to grow that before I started a real estate company last year. Then this year, an e-commerce, logistic, e-commerce logistics in partnership with someone. Now, one thing I found out with a lot of men, and I'm not, it's not a spite on any man. I know the economy is not friendly. The environment itself is not really enabling. So I'm not relegating all those factors. Please, note that. I know it's tough to be an entrepreneur. But one thing I found out with a lot of men, and I, I socialize a lot, so I mix with a lot of men, all manners of men, bad and good. I had to develop myself to that level. I used to be an introvert. I'm still an introvert, actually, but if you met me in the last six to eight years, you would think I'm an extrovert. But I'm actually an introvert. But I developed, I forced myself out of my chair to socialize because I discovered I needed that. So I mix a lot with people, and I hang out in lounges a lot. And we talk, you know how women talk now, just like you ladies, the way you talk. And when I'm talking with a lot of men, I'm profiling them. And uh, I discovered that uh, a lot of African men are not patient. 
The patience can just be due to acquired traits. Impatience, rather, can be due to an acquired trait. But I've discovered that it's possible that some of them have ADHD. Why? Because we, our mental health facility is weak. Not because uh, there are not great psychiatrists or clinical psychologists in Nigeria, even though there are few. I mean, for psychiatrists, I can't remember vividly. I think we have one psychiatrist to about 300,000 Nigerians. Very crazily. One psychiatrist to about 300,000 Nigerians, even more than that. And qualified and experienced psychologists also is cast to find. It's cast to find. Clinical psychologists, psychotherapists that knows their onion, that can get results. A lot of people just do psychology, but give them a depression case. They cannot manage it. And they call themselves psychotherapists and clinical psychologists. It's not a spike on them. It's just because they did traditional psychoanalytic stuff in school. But you got to move. The world has moved. So, in essence, what I'm saying is this. Our mental facilities, mental health facilities weak. ADHD is best diagnosed before the age of 12 years. Once you miss it before 12 years, the person will most likely will just continue like that. And you and I know that. How many people before the age of 12 years, we even see a psychiatrist or with the parents when they spot certain things, take to a psychiatrist or a psychiatric hospital. Number one, they don't even want to go near a psychiatric hospital because they, there's a social stigma, a, a toxic air, a toxic encode around going to a psychiatric hospital. Meanwhile, that child struggles to sit in one place before the age of 12, maybe at the age of 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and you observe that uh, this boy is too restless. The teacher also complained that if you get him to calm down within 5, 10 minutes, he's already disturbing another puppy. Or he's too playful and excessively playful. He can become aggressive. Or he struggles to sustain attention for more than 10 minutes. To sit down and listen to lecture or class teaching for 30 minutes is a problem. And you yourself, as a parent, you know that to sit down and read for, oh, it's difficult, even though it might be brilliant, but it's difficult. And uh, you also observe that uh, uh, he does things impossibly. A lot of times he, has, he will have acted before he thinks. We find inclusive or lying, even though he will not apologize later. All those impossible behaviors, those are pointers to ADHD. But because uh, mental health awareness is low, mental health facility is a bit weak, it's not picked, and a lot of people grow up with it. Now, with maturity, some of those symptoms and signs are, were better handled, but it doesn't take it away. It's still there. And this is what they bring to workplace. Some of them, they incorporate that or import that even into their business. So you see a guy that started, I'm just giving an example, pure water business. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to read what this person said. Yeah, hey, uh, my lady, my landlady doesn't respond to my greeting because my rent will soon be due. She's suffering from mental health. Even if she had an Android, I will have shared this link with her. <laughs> That's an emotional blackmail. <laughs> Go pay your rent. Receive the grace <laughs> to make money and pay your rent. <laughs> oh my days. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> this guy has made me too. <laughs> God, go and pay your rent. <laughs> Where was I, please? <laughs> you were talking about. Yeah, you were talking about. You, you had um, made reference to the fact that um, this can play out in the workplace. Yes. And, so, for example, a guy started with what pure water business. Uh, maybe he, mix, he mixes with a couple of friends, a, peer, a couple of peers, and he finds that uh, 
it's making 10,000 every month profit. And there's another business that you can make 50,000 here and it jumps to that one. And meanwhile, he has forgotten that that guy that's making 50,000 here monthly has spent four years, he has learned the trade. Just to that, then the, <laughs> the business slaps him once, slaps him twice. Ah! He wants to return back to pay other business. And what will people say? Then look for the next one to do. In one year, in two years, he has moved across like four or five businesses. Then let's say the person is not even a business person. He's an employee. He's working. He just started collecting. They just put you on 150K salary. But you're already restless because you're hearing that in another company, they are paying 250 for the same role. This and that. And you've forgotten the fact that it's not only money job is about. You have to improve your skills. You have to improve yeah. your attitude. And you are just focused on that and you are just becoming restless and you are becoming impatient and you just want to be moving. And it could be a pointer. It doesn't actually mean it's a dead word. It could be a pointer. Mm. It could be a pointer. And uh, sometimes we hear this saying loud, African men and their, African men and their egos. Sometimes what we are calling ego that those toxic ego, you know, those toxic ego, let me not disguise so that some men will not feel uh, Please, uh, somebody, <laughs> somebody whisper to me. You know, those toxic egos that uh, even the loved ones in their life cannot correct them, even friends cannot correct them. And they can become defensive, extra defensive, and can become aggressive once you want to correct them. Then, once, once, you, once you are not allowing them to have control, for example, you are his wife. You want to have 100% control on where you are going, what you are doing, part-time, what you are cooking, what you are buying, all those things. And they call it ego. They will just generalize it to be ego in this part of the world. It might not be ego, just ego. It might be a personality disorder. Mm. And there are three categories of personality disorder, but we're not going into that. All right? I think yeah. I answered the question, yeah. right? Yes, you did. There's one, just one question we'll take quickly. Um, it mm. says, how do you help a loved one who doesn't believe they need therapy? So you've been able to do the first aid and you've concluded that this person might need to speak to someone and they are reluctant. How do mm. you support that person? All right. Now, if you practice the five steps, the Hagi model, it's most likely, the chance is very low, if not zero. Let me not remove it because that's not absolute, but very low. Because the reason why they will be reluctant is because they have no insight, lack of insight. Mm -hmm. And with the, you know, the five steps, the L, G, E, E, the first E, when you educate, you know, a lot of people don't know. I, mean, I met a lot of people dealing with depression. I said, I think I've been having the, I'm, I'm working with a guy presently. I'm working with a guy presently. And let me tell you, Jennifer, he's actually a doctor. And uh, he's been experiencing that thing for three years. I won't mention it. But he didn't know, even though he's a doctor. Until there's a program on Instagram that I did with uh, George Teller. So the same way I sent it across to a lot of my connections on Instagram. That's how he stumbled on it because it's not even in the country. He's working somewhere. He's a doctor working outside Nigeria. So he stumbled on it and he just joined for joining sake. And he got... Uh, glue to it, and that's when the light bulb moment happened for you. That could be diesel. Let me talk to Osas. And he sent me a message on Instagram that can I send my number? And I sent it and he called on WhatsApp. 
And I took time to listen to him while I was profiling him and uh, sent him some assessment. And he did it and he came back and I told him, this is it. This is what you're having. Go and read about it if you are convinced and let's start a therapy session. My office will send you a couple of things, agreement letter and go on the invoice. And he went and read about it. I said, exactly. Well, how come I've not known this? I've come for the past three years. I've been doing it. So it's possible for someone to be dealing with something and not know. Mm. Until they gain insight, forget it. They will not be complaining. You know, there's a lot of social stigma. Let's not ignore the reality. <laughs> the social stigma around mental health in Nigeria. Like I'm seeing VC Perez. It's the person who takes that to Yabalet. That mentioning of that mentioning of Yabalet alone <laughs> brings an aura that a lot of people don't want to hear. Yeah. They don't want to associate with. They don't want to associate with. That's why private facilities now, private mental health facilities, you will not see them using the kind of name that government facilities use. Like we have Federal Neuropsychiatric Hospital, Yabanko. Private facilities are shying away from that now. So you will see something like behavioral center. In fact, you will see funky mm. names. Without even being a center, let me not advertise for any. Let me not let me not advertise. I mean, even full blown psychiatric hospital now, yeah. full blown mental health facility, but not even coaching now. Full blown mental health facility, and I will come back to coaching. Also, I need to say something about coaching. But full blown mental health facility, but they will avoid that because of the social and it's really stick. Because people shy away from it, uh, and the truth is that mental health should not be a thing of stigma. We will get there, but I know we are still far away from there. But it's not meant to be. It's not meant to be. Mental health illness itself is not even equal to schizophrenia only. That's uh, what you call madness. Uh, there are a lot of other issues. Eating disorder is a mental health challenge. Uh, eating disorder, for example, uh, addictions. You can, it's affecting your weight, and your weight is already affecting your blood pressure, but you seem, cannot, you seem not to be able to stop that craving for that stuff. That's a mental health issue. You may need psychotherapy to break it. Some of us are even addicted to common things. Some of us are addicted to... I mean, I met a guy, I couldn't believe. I struggled to accept what he told me. He said, averagely, it takes four to six bottles of soft drinks. I don't want to mention the name of soft drinks. But they... So, this is a mental health issue. And just like we know that substance abuse is very high in Nigeria today. But I believe it's even an epidemic in Nigeria, substance abuse. Ranging from medications to hard drugs... Then to solvent all manners. It's very hard. And it's just because people are seeking escape routes in these substances yeah. from the emotional pain they are running away from or an emotional pleasure they're chasing after that they don't know how to naturally induce. That brings me to coaching. I always quickly emphasize this. Please, when we're saying you have mental health and you should seek help, if the person is a certified and trained coach, fantastic. But know that coaching is not for a dysfunctional mind. Coaching is for a functional mind, uh, not a psychological or mental challenge. Please, not a mental challenge case that you take to a coach. You want a goal, a financial goal, a business strategy goal, or even a lifestyle change for some chronic conditions like hypertension and diabetes. Yes, a coach, if he's trained and certified, is for a functional mind. They take you from... I'm a trained and certified life and performance coach using behavioral change also. We take you from your now to your wow, from your here to your there, where you desire to be, using some tools. But when it comes to dysfunctional minds as a result of mental health challenges, it's not coaching. It's psychotherapy and medications. 
if it's in some conditions, combination of the two, in some conditions, if it's mild or moderate, just psychotherapy only. So mm. you must know mm. where you're taking them. So don't mix it up, please. Thank you. Thank you so Welcome. much, Doc. I think this has been extensive and um, we don't have any more questions on the line. So I, I'm also being conscious of the Instagram um, um, limitation on timing so we don't get... Let me quickly check. If my heart will be broken. This yes. score. <laughs> <laughs> and I know hey. you said your match is on. So hopefully... They I still have finished. Ah, oh, my heart is broken. So what's this score? Is a go less draw. Oh, Sorry about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I, it's okay. I will take some drinks. <laughs> but yes, it's a good start for you on the comments. Thank you. Everyone, Thank you, everyone. You everybody. To the, to the impact of this session, the recording will be available and I'll also um, share it with you as well. Thank you so much for staying on the line, guys. We'll have the last session of this series next week and I'll be speaking to postpartum depression in um, uh, mothers. Uh, for um, those that have probably gone through miscarriages or have lost um, their babies, or they even gave birth, but there are issues with psychological issues that they've experienced, yeah? This is going to be a session that will help you, not just for you, um, for the person that has gone through it, but you to know how to respond to such issues. Thank you, Doc. Um, Thank you, Ginika. Great work you're doing. And thank you, everyone. Uh, Loretta Ogum is reaching out to me that I want to Chelsea. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Tolu Michael, Jockey, everybody. If you think this is something you want to take forward, you know, please reach out to Dr. Osas. You can see that he's happy to share with, from his um, wealth of information and knowledge. All right, guys. Bye. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Bye. <laughs>